You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. And welcome to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show and Podcast. I am your host, Richard Franzi, and this is podcast episode number 1,263, and this is our 1,575th interview. We've been on the air since March of 2009, and we're the longest-running business podcast in Orange County, California. What is the power of a good question in determining the truth from a sales prospect, an interview candidate, or even an employee? Michael Reddington, who's the president of Inquasive, is on the show to help to explain by how using his disciplined learning method, um, excuse me, disciplined listening method, sorry about that, you can use the truth to your advantage. You know, we've been on the air since March of 2009, and if you'd like to learn more about our radio show podcast, visit our company's website, criticalmassforbusiness.com. Michael, welcome to Critical Mass Radio Show and Podcast. Thank you. Good evening. How are you? I'm doing well, sir. Let's uh, start very simply. Can you tell us a little bit about your firm and what makes it unique from other firms in your industry in the minds of your clients and your prospects? Certainly. So I started in Quasive after arriving at two realizations. The first was that the very best leaders and the very best interrogators capitalize on the same two core skill sets, vision and influence. And on the flip side of that coin, the cognitive process that will lead interrogation suspects to truthfully commit to saying I did it is essentially identical to the cognitive process that customers traverse before committing to say I'll buy it and employees experience before committing to say I'll do it. And when we think about executive CEOs, business owners, they know better than anyone the stress that's associated with moving people from resistance to commitment, and that stress often distracts people from the strategic processes and goals that they set for themselves. So I created the disciplined listening method, like you said earlier, to help people use the truth to their advantage, specifically by applying strategic ethical persuasion skills. It's interesting because you use the terms persuasion and listening as kind of in the same area. And I'm not sure all the CEOs and business owners that are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show would naturally equate listening to influence. Can you give us a little color around those two concepts and how you refer to them and think of them? Definitely. Listening is one of the cornerstones or bedrocks of persuasion. And just quickly, the most important part of listening is talking. As we all know, when we're talking, we're certainly not listening. But we often overlook the fact that when our internal monologue is running wild, we're certainly not listening to the, the people who are talking to us. And we're quite likely talking to ourselves in a way that confirms or defends something we already think, believe, or feel. So. A huge part of listening is putting ourselves in position to acquire the strategic intelligence we need to achieve our goals, which is why listening and persuasion work hand in hand. On the listening side, how do we create the necessary mindset and influence the context of a conversation? And then on the persuasion or the action side, how do we talk to people, engage with people in a way that encourages them to share the information that's vital to the goals we need to achieve? So really, persuasion and listening you can't have one without the other. So we're talking with Michael Reddington, and he is the 
president of Inquasive, and we're going to be talking about his disciplined listening method throughout the conversation here. I, I'm wondering, Michael, could you share with us your firm's most successful niche markets? I can, and, and this might be getting back to the unique question as well. Our niche really is the truth, and specifically how to observe for it, leverage it, and persuade others to commit to it. So from an industry standard, we really choose to focus with companies who employ people to talk to other people. So that, that makes us industry agnostic. Um, we often find ourselves partnering with executives, business development teams, and human resources departments. We've curated over 100 hours of content that we've used to create educational and advisory sessions that do integrate the interview and interrogation background with the business communication research and best practices as well. And as you mentioned with your intro, we apply that to leadership communication, conflict resolution, sales, candidate interviewing, customer service, and even public speaking. So I've heard people say that the act of listening isn't waiting for your turn to talk. And in your disciplined listening method, I, I'm imagining that not only is it active listening on the part of the CEO, but it's also looking for other cues about the truth. Is, is That's an assumption that I'm making without knowledge. Is that a fair thing for me to say, or am I a bit off mark with what I just said? No, it's certainly a fair assumption. Um, there are six core behaviors that are involved with disciplined listening. And the first may sound trite or, or common, but it's understanding how any conversation can potentially impact the goals that we have for ourselves. Waiting for our turn to talk, we might appear that we're listening, but we might not know exactly what we're listening for, or we might be thinking about the national championship game last night and might not be truly focusing on the task at hand. So you're 100% right. Um, listening is not just waiting for our turn to talk. Listening is putting ourselves in position to identify in real time verbal or nonverbal cues, either clearly stated or less than clearly presented, that enlighten us to new paths and new opportunities to achieve our goals. So we're talking with Michael Reddington, and, and I know that you, have, you carry the CFI Forensic Interview Certification, and I'm wondering if you might help us. That sounds impressive. I'm wondering how it helps you and how is it valuable not only to your business, but for others who may be wondering, is a CFI worth the time and effort, and how hard is it to even qualify and get the certification? I appreciate you asking. So, yes, I do carry the Certified Forensic Interviewer designation. Um, there are some specific prerequisites that are investigation-related that may or may not limit people who can apply, at least for the way it's structured right now. The exam is extremely rigorous. I'm um, certainly one of the toughest challenges I've ever taken on. To answer the question about how does it apply, it applies in many different ways. A lot of times when people think about applying you know, forensic investigative skills to business, they quickly jump to evaluating communication and asking questions. But it really goes so much deeper than that. Um, it, it starts with increasing our situational awareness. 
if somebody thinks they can read behavior, and even if they've developed a skill or if they have a great question, many times those skills in isolation will only get us in more trouble. It's really cultivating the contextual awareness of everything that's going on around us that's important before we can apply those skills. Also, I don't know that people often stop to think that great interrogators are great problem solvers. The majority of the time for the folks that I've worked with over the years to get a phone call is because there's multiple suspects, no evidence, everyone's already been interviewed and denied it. There's now political pressure to resolve the situation. So we're really getting presented a puzzle with less than half the pieces, typically people who aren't very compliant at the beginning of the conversations, and it's our job to resolve it. So those problem solvers solving skills really transition well when we think about preparing for difficult negotiations or sales or coaching conversations even. You mentioned before the, the ethical persuasion techniques. You know, how do we help people protect their self-images in ways that we might not have considered before? Then, of course, there's the strategic inquiry and the, the reading of the cues that you mentioned. Another one that people might not think about is the legal awareness. Um, there's a huge legal component focused both on the private and public sector for that designation, and it really helps people keep a, a clean eye on when they are potentially dealing with employee relations issues or theft or fraud or whatever it might be, how to approach that in a way that doesn't create any legal exposure for themselves in the organization. And when you put those perspectives together, it's a, it's a pretty unique grouping. So I had the good pleasure to meet Michael when I was in Charlotte last year at the invitation of Tim Pullian. He runs the Renaissance Executive Forums community in the greater Charlotte area, and he invited me in, and uh, he and Michael and I were in front of the audience for a while talking to a room full of um, CEOs, and when I uh, got to know more about what he do does for companies, I thought, I have to have this guy on his show because, frankly, you're the first one in this space with this approach that uh, that I've ever encountered, Michael, so I thought it was so curious. So I appreciate you giving of your time, uh, what is several hours later there in Charlotte, to be here on Critical Mass Radio Show and Podcast. No, that's no problem. I appreciate the opportunity. Okay, and if you see Tim, tell him I said hi, please. I will definitely. All right. So um, I, I wonder, you know, I was talking about my Killing Cats Leads the Rats, which is all about unintended consequences, which leads me to asking you, was there a strategic decision that you or the leaders in your company made that had an outcome that was different than what you and the leadership team had intended it to be? And if you can think of one of those strategic decisions that sort of went sideways on you, would you share it with our audience? That's, it's a great question, and I think unintended consequences are something that doesn't get nearly enough attention and recognition. And it was one of the pieces from your talk when I saw you, that, and even the topic before I came to the event, that really caught my attention. When we throw in the word strategic, that, it kind of recalibrates my thought process a little bit. I think that from a strategic standpoint, I'm knocking on wood, we've been a little bit lucky so far in that the unintended consequences, which could go positive or negative, um, haven't reared themselves as of yet. Um, but I, I think it's obviously just a matter of time. For me, the example that jumps right to mind is where the term disciplined listening came from. I was fortunate enough to be you know, leading a session for a group of executives 
in Dublin, and uh, a gentleman from Germany made a comment as we were talking about strategic observation, saying that what we were really talking about was taking active listening to another level. And my response to him was, as a matter of fact, we're not talking about active listening, we're talking about disciplined listening. And I explained to him what that phrase meant to me. And it was the first time I had ever shared that publicly. Well, fast forward about three or four months later, I was teaching a related group of executives in Vegas, and a business owner who had seen me several times was in the room, and I brought up disciplined listening at the same point in the material that I had been asked the question in Dublin. And on the next break, he raced up to me and asked me where that came from, because he had seen me speak several times and hadn't heard it before. And uh, when I explained it to him, the, the genesis of, of where the title came from, he grabbed me by the shoulders and says, that's it. That's the name of your book. That's the name of your business. That's the name of what you're going to do. You just, you just hit it. And so what started out as an answer to a question in a seminar has years later turned into the fabric of, of what I do and, and a very important part of what I do, and, and it's really caught on. So I don't know that that necessarily hits the level of strategic that you were looking for, uh, but certainly falls in line with unintended consequences. Yeah, and that's um, the, the research in unintended consequences. There are positive outcomes um, called uh, serendipity or, or good fortune, and that was certainly a positive, wasn't it, that you uh, organically came up with what is a very differentiated term and something that you can claim as your own. Yes. That's, that's a great example. Thank you. Uh, a few more here, Michael, for your time on Critical Mass Radio Show and Podcast. Can you share with our audience your experience and where do you go to get outside input and peer learning and feedback to help you uh, do what Dr. What uh, Michael Gerber said is not just work in the business but work on the business? Definitely. So I'm lucky that as I serve as both a certified forensic interviewer and an executive resource, I have earned access to great investigators and also great business leaders and peer groups. So over time, I've been very intentional about, cure, if people still use the word Rolodex, uh, maintaining a Rolodex of mentors where I can reach out to them at any point in time, whether it is for specific situations, general touch base and advice, um, book recommendations, podcast recommendations, but anything that, that we can do. So I'm a, a huge believer, and of course I met you through the, the Renaissance Executive Forums as well, huge believer in that, that peer networking and peer advisory setup because the perspectives that other people bring in based on their lives and their experiences really are so important. Great. Guiding Principle. I, my second book is The Power of CEO Guiding Principles, and it really came from a series of interviews that I've done over the years here on octalkradio.net, uh, where I asked the guests this question, and I'm hoping you can share your philosophies with us. But that is, if you could kind of share your core philosophy that you're using to build the culture of your company. You know, what's your overarching belief system? Because I believe that the guiding principles that leaders bring into their companies really has a major influence on the type of culture that that company has. For sure. Um, and to that end, it, part of, and I'll, I'll directly answer the question in one second, part of our belief system is keep it simple. Um, we believe that too many times if those operating philosophies get too in-depth or too detailed that it, it tends to mire people in, in the, the philosophy instead of the action. So we keep it simple. Our philosophy is just do the right thing. 
we 100% believe that if you treat people the right way and you take care of people, that what we put out in the world comes back to us. And there's a, a simple internal monologue test that we use for that. All of us can think of plenty of times where we've said to ourselves, I shouldn't have to do that. And anytime we say to ourselves, I shouldn't have to do that, there's good news and bad news. The good news is we're most likely right. We shouldn't have to. The bad news is we do. And as soon as we say to ourselves we shouldn't have to, it's the first or maybe the, the, the most adamant notification internally that it is the right thing for us to do. And the flip side is true as well. If we say to ourselves, well, they should know better, or they should have just taken care of that, or this is something they should do on their own, well, congratulations again. We're probably still right, yet they're not. And so now we have to pick up the torch and think about what did we do. So it all comes down to us for do the right thing. If we hear ourselves saying should or shouldn't, that's something that we likely have to address. Beautiful. Uh, I'm going to have you back on the show. We, we've only scratched the surface of what you can share with our audience, so I don't know when it's going to be in a couple of years, but I'd like you to come back. And when you come back, what's going to be different with your firm? Where are you taking the company? Right now, probably like a lot of organizations, um, our goal is scaling while retaining our roots. Um, you've been very generous with your time tonight in pointing out some of our unique aspects. And like a lot of companies, as we scale, we want to make sure that we stay true to our roots and who we are and what we do. So while we continue to stay on top of the newest research and best practices on per persuasive and ethical communication, we also want to make sure that where we come from and who we believe ourselves to be, stay strong within that fabric. So we are looking at how to integrate technology. We're trying to identify, even from um, an, an app curve and a, and a technology curve, where does it make sense to implement and support what we teach in the classroom and how do we begin to productize and move from there. Um, there are a couple books in the pipeline as well. So it'll be very interesting to see where we are when we get the chance to get back together. Great. And let me know when the next book comes out. Love to have authors. Matter of fact, the next interview here on Critical Mass Radio Show, the live stream is an author. So I'm always looking for authors who break books that are relevant for my target audience. So if someone wants to learn more about you and the firm, Michael, how do they find you online? Best places, inquasive.com. Um, if they're checking on social media, I'm a bit of a caveman, so the best place for them to find me is in LinkedIn. Uh, Michael Reddington, CFI, is where they can find me on LinkedIn. So can you spell inquasive, please? I certainly can. I-N-Q-U-A-S-I-V-E. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, you're, a, you're a member of the critical mass community by virtue of our relationship and the fact that you've been on the show. And thank you for being a friend of the program and giving of your time tonight, Michael Reddington. I certainly appreciate the opportunity. Have a great night. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, thank you. I'm going to thank Paul Roberts as well. He's our uh, engineer for today's show and my three producers, without whom we could not do this show each week, Joan Park, Crystal Nunley, and Haley, uh, sorry, Vanessa Holland. I almost fell in the old trap of the previous wonderful producer, Haley Stern, who we miss and love. If you'd like to connect with me, I would ask you to connect with me on LinkedIn. That's a good way to start. I'm Richard Franzi, F-R-A-N-Z-I. And until our next show, I hope all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction. You have been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Business Talk Show, focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies. With your host, Richard Franzi.